Get out to hear my conversation with Leslie Marks. We talk all about the recent comments from Jerome Powell and what they mean for markets. We also talk about China, the zero COVID policy, what impact that might have on energy markets, and what she's looking for throughout the rest of 2022. I hope you enjoy. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Information relating to investment approaches or individual investments should not be construed as advice or endorsement. Listeners should seek professional advice for their situation. Welcome to the McKenzie Investments Podcast. My name is Matthew Schnur, and I'm delighted to be back with our CIO of Equities, Leslie Marks. Leslie, welcome back. Great to be here once again, Matt. I thought we'd start today by talking about the Fed. Uh, the Fed seems to be driving uh, markets for the, the balance of the year, really. Um, and I'd love your view on uh, the recent comments that uh, Jay Powell has made uh, um, just about the Fed trajectory and, uh, and subsequent market uh, reaction. We did see an intraday move of something like 4.5%. Was that overdone? Yeah, and... and- Maybe just to build on your comment, I think the Fed's really been driving the market for pretty much the majority of, of this year, not even just uh, the most recent period here. Right. You talked about what happened last week in reaction to Jay Powell's comments, big move upward in the S&P and the NASDAQ, growth stocks, technology stocks in particular. Um, Treasury yields also fell. And your question was really, was that o- overdone? And I do think that uh, coming into those comments, the market was becoming more optimistic that the Fed was getting ready to slow interest rate increases. And I know there's been um, probably an overused word uh, bantered around about, uh, is this time for the Fed to pivot? And in my mind, a Fed pivot is really when the Fed stops increasing interest rates, and then the next move would be obviously to, to cut rates. So I think we're a long ways from that point in time. Uh, Would we be in the scenario where we think that they are going to slow interest rate increases? Of of course, I I think that's a a given uh, from here. But I think what the market is starting to realize over the last few days is, you know, slowing interest rate increases aren't the be all and end all when you start to accept that interest rates are actually going to be higher for longer and what the impact uh, will be. Last week, Chair Powell, he basically provided a checklist of economic data that he's watching, um, economic growth, looking at whether or not that's running below trend. And we would say, yes, it is uh, definitely uh, Mm -hmm. right now. Um, Looking at the healing of the supply chain and the impact on goods inflation, we think that uh, impacts on supply chain have definitely moderated. And when you look at the components in inflation, uh, goods inflation has also moderated. And we've seen weakness in housing. But the one area that uh, all central bankers are looking at that we really haven't seen any movement on is on the labor market. And we're just not at levels that is consistent with a 2% inflation rate, which is why uh, people are getting, um, uh, you know, they're, they're getting more focused on this idea that interest rates will be higher for longer. That's great. Um, 
when I think about sort of forward-looking projections on on businesses and stocks, there's really two components. You have a discount rate, and then you have the earnings level overall. Uh, Fed does a lot on the discount rate, and, and obviously impacts the economy as a whole. I'm curious on the earnings side. Have you seen anything since uh, the most recent earnings uh, announcements that uh, gives you any clues on on where corporate earnings are headed? Mm-hmm. Well, we're a little bit in between an earnings season. Um, Q3 earnings were. Um, in some cases, good, mm-hmm. and in other cases, horrible. It was really more idiosyncratic when it came to earnings. But one of the things that we saw fairly consistently uh, across the board was related to inventories. And this comes back to the easing of, of the supply chain. So supply chains are easier. Companies overordered. They had a very difficult time predicting demand. And so I continue to look at data points that um, sort of support that narrative that we are past the peak of goods inflation and likely to see potentially goods deflation. So um, as I mentioned, the focus will really be what we see in January from Q4. But there was one uh, company that um, decreased their forward guidance this week, uh, VF Corp. And why I think this one's interesting is because um, they have a lot of brands that cross uh, many demographics and price points. The company owns multiple brands like Timberland, North Face, Vans, like things that, that you know most people have heard of. And 50% of their sales are actually outside of the U.S. So it gives you a good sense of the health of the consumer globally, not just in the U.S. And why I found this one interesting was because they warned um, about the future uh, growth in top line and, and earnings. And again, we heard the same messages, um, cutting their forecast due to lower demand, Uh, Mm. more promotions to clear inventory, order cancellations at the retail or wholesale level, and uh, currency volatility, which we've talked about has been a big factor in creating earnings volatility this year and the importance of the strength of the U.S. dollar as a significant headwind for a lot of S&P 500 uh, companies. Um, And of course, they also said that COVID restrictions in China are also hurting their outlook. So we're hearing more of the same. which I think means that those negative headwinds for companies on the goods side um, in the retail channel are not at, you know, the worst is not behind them, that things are going to continue to get uh, bad, discounting is going to have to accelerate, and inventories in general are high. Sounds like good news for holiday shopping, but maybe bad news for uh, corporate earnings in general. Exactly, exactly. Um, the other the other thing that you mentioned in your comments there, and one of the themes that's certainly driving markets lately is uh, China at the zero COVID policy. Um, I'd say markets are uh, quite excitable on this idea that uh, that China's going to find a way to to uh, unwind that zero COVID policy. Yet lockdowns persist there. Uh, we haven't really seen a, a lot of movement. Uh, she has, I think, proven in the past to be somewhat unpredictable on these types of things. What's your view on on China? Uh, and uh, and this um, narrative of the uh, lifting of zero COVID. Yeah, and there's there's no question as as an investor or as a market watcher, it's been very difficult to try and understand um, the path uh, to to reopening or to coming backing away from the zero COVID policy, and it's been very back and forth in. Um, you know, the perspective around, you know, a few steps forward, a a few steps back. I think that the fact that over the last couple of weeks, this really became front page news with protests 
around um, Chinese citizens basically, you know, being more forceful that they are not supportive of where China is right now. This has been three years. Um, when you think back to some of the policies in place right now, um, kids being educated at home, for example, lockdowns, testing. I mean, this is really where we were, um, as I said, almost three years ago. So you can right. understand why the frustration is is really brewing. But I think what, what is really happening now is that the government is um, starting to accept that where we are in the pandemic is not where we were three years ago, and that the seriousness of the variants like Omicron are not the same as what we experienced early on in the pandemic. So there's, I think, a concerted measured approach to educate um, their population that COVID is not as serious as it was thought to be three years ago, so that there isn't the sense of fear also, because there's there's a lot of anger around zero COVID policies, but at the same time, there's also a lot of fear around COVID infiltrating the population. So I think what the government is trying to do is a very, very slow and measured walk back from the policy. And so that's why for us in, in North America, when we put our lens on things, you know, when we, you know, when we think about relaxing COVID policies, we're looking at much um, quicker uh, movement. And so there's a little bit of impatience around, well, are they really reopening? Are they really walking back from the zero COVID policy? But I think unequivocally they, they, they are. And I think there's been some small measures that maybe don't sort of make the front page because protests are much more sensationalized and, sure. and captivate the media uh, a, a lot more. But in the last couple of days, we've seen a change in testing policy, for example. So in major centers, you were required to go through a PCR test just to basically do anything almost in, in public, go to parks, go to um, yeah. public venues, etc. And we've seen a, a huge relaxation in, in that policy. So I think between you know very slow incremental changes in policy and an education around um, the current risk level of contracting COVID. I think we will start to see um, closer maybe to the second half of 2023, a much more relaxed in environment in China. And, you know, it's all relative also. So even small changes um, are going to really help to bolster the Chinese economy. And when you think about what's happening in other economies around the world that will probably experience weaker year-over-year -year growth, uh, China could end up being a real standout with relatively um, positive year-over-year, -year, a, a positive increase in economic growth. You know, 2022 is going to be a three, three and a half percent growth rate for China. Uh, we could see with a reopening and, you know, you think about how people spent that sort of sure. revenge spending in right. North America and Europe and what we've seen despite the inflationary headwinds, if you see that in China, you could see a 5% plus economic growth rate for China. So this is a, a very important factor for us as investors, global investors, to really understand because of the relative attractiveness that China could hold in the world, but also the demand that could come from a recovery in China, just globally for, for all of our companies. And just that those are great comments and uh, seated in them is, is uh, some optimism, I guess, and, and reasonableness about uh, reopening in uh, a slower manner. 
what do you think the risks to that are? I, and I, and when I say that, I think of uh, like the Omicron being so um, contagious uh, and it uh, is virulent through the population. Is it possible to have this degree of control, do you think, over the virus? Or is it is it at one point in time going to sort of blow open and, and really create a dichotomy where it's either a hard lockdown or, or you sort of let it run rampant? Well, I think that it's that's probably the, the big question, which is we know that um, the reason that they have been so strict, uh, the Chinese government has been so strict around COVID policies is because of concern around deaths without being able to support um, uh, the large numbers that may require hospitalization. Right. So it's really going to be about achieving the right balance and the right pace around reopening such that you can still manage um, within your healthcare system so that that's not the next front page story, which is right. skyrocketing number of deaths within the population, which I think people would be, um, you know, that, that would create a whole other sort of cast of problems throughout their society and, and potential for, for chaos. But the key is really going to be in order to get in front of that is going to be vaccination and, and availability of treatment. So right. it's it's a fairly low vaccinated population. So I think the government is talking about how they can encourage more vaccination in the more vulnerable segments of the population, like the elderly. Um, so we would want to we would be watching to see those signals. But your point is a very good one, Matt, and and that's probably the biggest risk that we end up in a different type of chaos as a result mm -hmm. of. Um, spiraling number of cases that have uh, devastating implications. Fair enough. Um, to stick with your base case and and uh, and quite reasonable case of, of a call it measured reopening uh, and significant year over year growth for for China that would have big implications on the commodity complex uh, of the world. Uh, and I think oil and gas is probably uh, the most uh, interesting uh, component of that complex, given uh, recent um, uh, European situation uh, and uh, and price spikes. What's your view on uh, energy in general? How much is that China story uh, depending on on driving demand? Uh, and any other uh, comments on the energy section? So I'll sort of start with your, your last uh, comment and then work my way backwards. Um, sure. I think China is the largest importer of crude. So so Chinese demand definitely will impact the, the price of oil. And whenever there's more optimism around uh, China reopening, um, that seems to put a bid under the price of oil. Right now, oil is dealing with the competing forces of a global slowdown, uh, potentially um, by definition, a, a global recession next year if we experience something in the range of 2% economic growth. So that's obviously not good for uh, demand um, from the rest of the world. And so there's a bit of a push-pull here with oil. Um, the other thing that we you know, cannot ignore is the more recent news that we've seen um, where um, the EU is banning most Russian oil and G7 countries have imposed a price cap of $60 per barrel on Russian exports to other countries. Now, current Russian oil prices are below this level, so it's hard to say what exactly the, the impact will be, but um, it just creates more tension on the subject of oil and, and energy security. And Russia has said that they will not acknowledge or respect the, the, the price cap. So, you know, the Western world is trying to manage the sanctions against uh, Russia, while at the same time, 
um, trying to balance keeping prices low because of the negative impact on higher prices to the consumer. And it really runs sort of in the face of price stability if you have runaway pricing on oil. So we're in a bit of a tricky spot here with uh, with oil, and, and it makes the outlook for oil um, more complicated because I think the upside to oil is really going to be very much dependent on uh, China reopening. But if that happens, demand increases for oil, that becomes inflationary. What we've right. had the luxury of this year um, for the last couple of months is lower energy prices filtering into inflation prices and have helped to keep um, inflation tracking uh, now slowly, but lower uh, month over month. And so it all sort of comes back to um, central bank policy. And really, when it comes to energy prices, it's going to be very difficult to control energy prices in the context of higher interest rates. So what you could have is a scenario like we see in Europe right now, where you have high and rising energy prices and they still, you know, which are a significant headwind for the economy, but they still have to um, uh, keep interest rates high or, or increase interest rates because of this laser focus on price stability. Sounds like a a wonderful complementary asset when you think about context of portfolios, uh, where if there is um, an increase in in energy, you'd see sort of the rest of your portfolio perhaps sell off because of growth concerns and that type of thing and inflationary, but you'd at least benefit from the the energy uh, component of it. Um, well, well, that's yeah, and, and I mean that's the made in Canada story, right? Like right, yeah, energy, sure. energy's been um, despite more recent weakness, it's still the by a long shot the top performing sector year to date. Um, right. Energy companies, I think, if you xed out energy companies from both the TSX and the S and P, you'd probably have negative earnings growth year over year. So right. energy's still been the the big story for 2022, and the picture that I've painted is a lot more uncertain for 2023. But, um, you know, there's still, and, and, and I'm talking about more sort of sec, uh, cyclical um, issues, but I think it's, you know, we should acknowledge the secular trends, which it's still right. an area like all commodities where for the last 10 years has been capital deprived. And the transition um, to greener choices for uh, energy and away from fossil fuel is going to take longer than, than most people expect. And it's going to be very expensive in the sense of the utilization of other commodities to support that energy transition. So you have to sort of connect the fossil fuel discussion to the rest of the commodity complex. And right. that's the secular story that is kind of overriding what could be a shorter term cyclical story over the next 12 months. Perfect. I know that we have a upcoming podcast that's going to get into sort of our blue book, our, our outlook for 2023, um, where we'll dig into that topic and many more, I'm sure, uh, with you and uh, Steve Locke, your, your co-CIO. Um, but before that, what should we be looking for? What should we be paying attention to for the back half of 2022? We're in December right now. I'm tired. I suspect most people are tired. Can we just can we just coast into December and expect a rally to take us there? Or what should we be expecting? Well, I, I too cannot wait to uh, close the book on 2022. It's It's been an interesting and, and certainly educational year, um, <laughs> but but challenging and, and, and volatile. And um, it's uh, it's it's actually been amazing when you think about 
the pace of interest rate increases that we've experienced this year that we're ending the year uh, uh, where we are. I mean, you know, if you look in, in, in Canada, um, I think the TSX is only down about 4% uh, year right. to date. So, so, I mean, you know, it, it feels much worse than it is now. Right. Of course, that's, that's not the case globally. And certain areas of the market have been hit a lot harder, like the higher growth technology stocks. So the things that we've become accustomed to getting our returns from, um, that, that is that is no longer the case. And, and we've talked a lot about that um, sort of, you know, the last, the next 10 years won't be like the last 10 years. So I too am very excited to talk to you about the outlook for um, 2023 um, as we uh, close the books on this year and move to open a new book for next year. But we'll save that for another day. So right now we've got, um, what, about three more weeks of uh, trading days to, to, to end right. this year off. And I know we all want to see a strong end or a Santa Claus rally to to close the year off. But I, I think that we've, we we kind of got our, our Santa Claus rally already. Um, the S&P 500, the S&P TSX, they're both up 10, 11% from their October lows. Um, they really uh, have priced in the potential for a slowdown in the pace of, of interest rate increases. But I think that that sort of positive news is now priced into the equity markets um, right. and, and probably the bond market as, as well. And so for us to see um, this, this market to keep rallying, it's going to need more positive news. And that positive news is going to have to come um, on, on the inflation front. And so it's going to have to be news that supports that inflation is, is still waning. Now, we, we, we have a lot of conviction that inflation has peaked and, and we think it will um, continue to uh, decline. We're going to get one more uh, CPI print by, by the end of the year. But in the last few days, we've actually had some data that has not really <coughs> supported <coughs> this improvement. Excuse me. So we had the uh, unemployment data on Friday. And as I mentioned at the start of our discussion, right now, that's kind of the last piece of the puzzle that uh, Jerome Powell's really focused on. And if we all sort of are honest with ourselves and look in the mirror, um, I would say that uh, that uh, uh, unemployment data or the jobs data, the non-farm payrolls was uh, rather hawkish, actually, for uh, monetary policy. Unemployment is still in the 3.7% range in the U.S. Um, the uh, hiring was still robust, 263,000 jobs, which was above expectations. And sorry, this is November data. And wage growth, more importantly, accelerated to an annual pace of 5.1%. So in the face of that data, um, we think it's going to be very difficult to for, for central bankers to be really dovish. Um, we're going to hear from the Bank of Canada this week and the Federal Reserve next week. And so incremental positive news is going to be hard to come by into the end of the year. So we save that for um, our discussion next time when we talk about the outlook for 2023. Well, Leslie, let's call it there. I really look forward to the, the blue book and the 2023 outlook, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Okay, great. Thanks, Matt. The content of this podcast, including facts, views, opinions, and recommendations, is not to be used or construed as investment advice and is not an offer or an invitation to buy or sell any security. 
content of this podcast should not be relied upon for any purposes and McKenzie Financial Corporation is not responsible for any reliance upon it. This podcast includes forward-looking information that reflects our current expectations or forecasts of future events. Forward-looking information is subject to risks, uncertainties, and assumptions that could cause actual results to differ materially from those expressed herein. Our views are subject to change based on market conditions. Commissions, trailing commissions, management fees, and expenses may be associated with mutual fund investments. Please read the fund facts and prospectus before investing. The indicated rates of returns are historical annual compounded total returns, including changes to unit values and reinvestment of all dividends or distributions and does not take into account sales, redemptions, distribution, or optional charges or income taxes payable by any security holder that would have reduced returns.